if she is spending her time reading books which can never be of any possible good to her if she is becoming fault-finding, cynical, cross, selfish if she is doing any of these things which keep her from being what she ought to be her everyday life needs trimming, think it over, if you find any useless, strength-absorbing thing in your life, cut it out, boys, are you letting any bad habits grow into your life? Are you wasting your time running after pleasures and amusements that don't help you to be better boys? Are you getting chummy with other boys whose companionship is not good and whose words and deeds you would not dare to talk about at home? Are you reading useless books and letting the treasures of literature on mother's bookshelf at home go untouched? Are you trying to find shortcuts to success when there isn't any such thing and neglecting the hard work which has brought honor and success to all who have reached a high place? If you are doing any of these things, get out the pruning hook of good resolution and the sharp axe of determination. Trim off all these useless things, gather them in a heap and burn them. Then, in the years to come, will you find that you have been able to be of use to the world and to yourself. But you can't do it with these useless, strength-robbing things growing on your lives. Among the last words of Jesus on earth were these, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. If we are to bear much fruit, we must trim off the useless things and allow the bright sunshine of his approval and guidance to come into our lives. The Pilgrim's Thanksgiving Day Bravery The story of their steadfastness of faith is an inspiring study for Thanksgiving Day. The lesson that the blessings for which we are thankful today have come through those whose faith was firmly grounded. Thanksgiving Day should be one of mixed seriousness and smiles. This chalk talk endeavors to meet this combination in its treatment of the character of the pilgrims and of the present time observation of the day which had its beginning in Plymouth Colony. The talk. The thoughts of Christian people all over America should turn today back to the 22nd day of December, 1620, when that company of noble men and women, after battling with the ocean waves for two months, succeeded in getting ashore from their sturdy little boat, the Mayflower, and set their feet upon the new land of America. The spot where these pilgrims landed is now a sacred one. We call it Plymouth Rock. And there we may still see the rock on which they are said to have stepped as they came ashore in their rowboats. Who were these people? And why did they come to America and start a colony when there were no white people anywhere around? When savage Indians would surely try to kill them. When they would have to labor hard to get any food or clothing. And where they would have to live in the wild country in huts which must be made from the logs which they would cut out of the forest. The pilgrims were people from England who loved God and wanted to do His will. But there were other and more powerful people in England who punished them and treated them shamefully because they did not choose to do things which they knew would not please God. Finally, to get away from their persecutors, they left England and went over to Holland where they tried to live as they believed the Lord would have them live. But there they found a rough, immoral lot of people mostly sailors and soldiers who had left the service of their country and were leading reckless lives for the good of their children, they decided not to remain there, they then bade farewell to all that was near and dear to them in the old country and started across the ocean to America the new land, after a voyage of two months, they reached the bleak, rocky coast of Massachusetts, and they knew that if they could come ashore safely, they could here worship God just as they wished to do, we are glad that they kept a diary of what they did, when they asked the London company to let them start a colony in America, they said, We verily believe that God is with us and will prosper us in our endeavors. We are men who will not be easily discouraged. That's the kind of people they said they were the women as well as the men and they proved it to be so. 
after they had signed the constitution which was the foundation of the first democratic government in America, while the Mayflower was standing in the harbor, the brave company of 101 disembarked from their little vessel and commenced at once to chop down the trees needed to build homes and to provide fuel, for it was in the dead of winter, before the first winter had ended, 40 of their number had died from exposure, famine and disease, but when the Mayflower started back on its return trip to England, not one of the survivors would go with the ship's crew, here, then, on this bleak, forbidding New England coast these pilgrims set up the first model government, Draw a little of the outline of the New England states at the upper right-hand corner of figure 120. They had trouble with the Indians, but the red men soon came to respect them, and peace continued for many years. Three years after they had landed, Governor Bradford proclaimed a great feast the Feast of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, how dear the word has grown, out of small beginnings, says Governor Bradford in his history of the colony. Great things have been produced by his hand that made all things out of nothing, and as one small candle will light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone to many, yea, to our whole nation, and, today, this nation, the greatest nation on the earth, still looks back to that first Thanksgiving day, draw the remaining lines to complete figure 120, to us, it is a day of worship and feasting, and in both of these features we are following the example of Governor Bradford, Elder William Brewster, John Carver, Edward Winslow, Miles Standish and the other brave men and women who formed that early company. We do not go out into the woods for the wild turkey as they did, but we get the turkey just the same. I have no doubt that your thoughts of thanksgiving to God for his many blessings to us this year are already mingling with thoughts of scenes like this. Detach the map drawing from the board, turn it over and reattach it with thumbtacks. Change the map into a steaming roast turkey by adding the lines to form the wing, the drumstick, the garnishment and the plate. Use black for all but the garnishment. This completes figure 121. Our hands visitors day conduct actions sometimes speak plainer than words the important part which our hands play. The lesson that we should watch carefully, the work of our hands. This chatty little talk about the hand may be given added force if the speaker will, by the use of his own hands, illustrate the characteristics and emotions as they are mentioned. The talk. Today. We shall talk a little about our hands these mostful tools that are fastened to the outer ends of our arms. Helen Keller, who has been deaf and blind ever since she was a little child, tells us that her hands are a splendid substitute for eyes and ears, and that their sensitive touch has revealed to her the beauties and wonders of the world. In other words, she has seen the world with her hands. Did you ever see a palmist read a hand? It is a very interesting thing. Although most of us haven't a great deal of confidence in the revelations which the palmist finds there in the lines and the high places and the low places, draw the hand and put in the lettering of figure 122. We laugh at the mistakes which the palmist makes, even though we think seriously of the true things she speaks, but we don't need to go to the palmist to find out what is really in our hands to find out the real story they have to tell. Look at your own hands a moment let us see what we find there. Are your hands the kind that clasp other hands in warm friendship? Are they hands which are busy every day doing good, honest work? Are they hands that take food and clothing to the poor? Are they hands that stroke the fevered brow? Are they hands that help to lighten the burdens of other people? Are they hands that lift up the fallen one and point him to him who said, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden? Are they hands that help wherever and whenever they can? Think about it. Are they? Or, are they hands that clenching anger? Are they hands that crush heartlessly?
Are they hands that drag downward? Are they hands that pull backward? Are they hands that strike in cruelty? Are they hands that slap insultingly? Are they hands that tear pitilessly? Are they hands that grope into the dark places and do more harm than good? Think about it. Are they, or, are they hands that drop lazily? Are they hands that lie idly and fold indolently? Think about it. Are they, in God's word, we find the hand mentioned more than a hundred times. It appears constantly as an index of character. So, you see, there is more than one way to determine character than by the reading of the hand, of the industrious, busy hand. Solomon says, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. And again of the lazy hand, he says, how long wilt thou sleep? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. What a picture of laziness. But in no other place in the Bible do we find such striking references to the hand as in the words of the psalmist. Insert the letter, S, in promised, changing it to psalmist. Here is what the psalmist says, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart shall receive the blessing of the Lord. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands, yea, the work of our hands, established out, add the words, the work of our hands, established out. This is a splendid prayer for all of us. To our visitors today, we extend a warm hand, because you are as welcome as the flowers in May. Ours is the right hand of fellowship, as Paul calls it. Here we have a plenty of work for many more hands to do willing hands, busy hands, loving hands. If yours are not busy doing a work of uplift and helpfulness somewhere else, remember that we shall be glad to enlist them in service here. The lines of Ye Houseman, in his poem, A Shropshire Lad Show Most Beautifully the Thought Which We Should Give the Work of Our Hands As the Days Bring New Problems and Opportunities, Hand, Said I Since Now We Part From Fields and Men We Know By Heart, For Strangers Faces, Strangers Lands, Hand, You Have Held True Fellows Hands, Between, Then, Rot, Before You Do A Thing They'd Not Believe Of You. Helen Keller Girls Day seeing her wonderful experience furnishes an inspiring thought for Girls Day. The lesson that our physical eyes cannot reveal to us the precious gifts of God, only our spiritual eyes can tell us of His loving kindness. Helen Keller's wondrous life is full of inspiration, and a study of it will provide the conscientious teacher with many helpful thoughts. The illustration is especially appropriate for Girls Day. The talk. It happens very often that two people look at the same thing at the same time, and each of the two sees something entirely different from the other. Somebody has described the optimist as the man who sees the donut, while the pessimist sees nothing but the whole. So, also, you and I might see before us nothing but an unshapely block of marble, while the sculptor would see the angel in the stone. All of this proves to us that what we see doesn't depend upon our eyesight but upon the mind which is back of the eyesight and which receives the impressions not only through the eyes but through the senses of hearing, tasting, smelling and feeling. In fact, our eyes and our ears may be tightly closed we may be totally deaf and blind and still we may be able to see things more clearly than we might with our eyesight and our hearing. We have all heard about Helen Keller, the deaf and blind girl. I will draw an outline of her portrait. Draw figure 124. With eye closed. Complete. This young woman has been deprived of her eyesight and hearing ever since she was a young child, and yet her ability to learn, to comprehend, to understand, to really see, is developed to such a high degree that she is advanced far beyond most well-educated people who possess all of their natural faculties. Helen Keller, now grown to a womanhood, 
has written many wonderful things, here is one of them, it does not matter where we are, so long as we have light in our hearts and make our dark ways ring with the music of burdens cheerfully borne and tasks bravely filled, they say life is a closed book to me, one critic doubted that I could feel the Sunday and I believe he thought others felt it for me, but if, indeed, I had so little share as that in the life of others, it would still be true that the least flower with brimming cup may stand and share its two drops with another near. Truly, the eyes of Helen Keller are widely open to the great truths and wonderful beauties around her change lines of the eye slightly, completing figure 125 whereas, the eyes of many of us which are supposed to be wide open, are indeed closed to many of God's blessings. Many of us have eyes to see with, but we use them only to look with. Helen Keller has seen more and done more without eyes than thousands who have perfect eyes, but have never learned to use them. Helen Keller should be an inspiration to every girl here today. Learn from her life the great principles of true living. Let us first ask the question, how did she reach the high place to which she has been able to attain? She must have had help. Yes, she did have help. It came chiefly through a dear friend, Miss Sullivan, who, through patient years, sent the light into the darkness which enveloped the poor deaf and blind girl, and listen, never, during those years of patient endeavor, did Miss Sullivan allow Helen Keller to receive a wrong impression of things about her, stop a moment and think what all that means, nothing came into the life of the girl but clear, certain truth, the false, the unlovely, the hideous, the deceitful, the unreal, never came in to distort her view while she was a child, and so, when she later learned of the sadder side of life, through her extensive reading, she was well prepared to sympathize with those whose youth was not so well favored as her own. Let us be careful in helping to shape the lives of the children, never to leave with them a wrong impression which may require a lifetime to remove from their minds. It must be, says Helen Keller, that when the Lord took from me one faculty, he gave me another, which is in no way impossible. I think of the beautiful Italian proverb, when God shuts a door, he opens a window, truly, God has opened a window to let in the sunshine of his love and care, and this blind girl is one of his brightest children, what an example to the world is Helen Keller, what an example to every girl who has heard of her great success, up with a monument to her memory, build it high and strong, she has shown the world how difficulties can be overcome by determination and perseverance, and to a lot rugged, lofty heights one may attain, even though he carry the heaviest of burdens, the story of a kite conceit vanity if able talk to children about the ambitious flyer which broke the string, the lesson that sometimes the things which seem to be hindering us and holding us down are the very things which we need to hold us up and build us up, in the days of our grandfathers and grandmothers, the children were taught from the beginning to perform many household duties which the children of today know nothing of, whether it be a cause or an effect. The truth of the matter is that the modern tendency is to get away from the home influence and home responsibilities at a very early age to break loose from mother's apron strings. The talk deals with this phase of modern life. The talk. Bitches. D-Migs. I am going to draw you a picture this morning. And I am wondering which one of you will be able to tell me first what it is a picture of. I will go a little slow. So you can all follow every line and think real hard what it is going to be. Begin drawing figure 126, at the lines indicating the distant foliage, then draw the tail, and finally the kite frame and string. Mumber number no, it's not a wood pile, it's not a gridiron, Mumber it is not a trap. Where's the boy who said kite? He's the smarty, for he got it right. 
Yes it's a kite. And it was John's kite. One day the wind came up just right for the kite. So John got it out. Called to his chum. Harry. Across the street. And said. Say. Harry. Come on let's go out and fly the kite. The wind is just dandy today. So. Away the boys went. And before they reached the open lot three or four other kids had fallen in line. And they went along to help had the fun. Now. Harry. You take the kite and run out there towards that old stump, said John, and when I pull the string, you stop and hold the kite up over your head as high as you can and when I say ready you let her go. Away went Harry, and he held up the kite. Let speaker hold up a songbook. Hi, are you ready? Yes. Well, then, let her go. And with that, along came a gust of wind which laid hold of that kite and began to climb right up towards the sky with it. Higher and higher it went till the kite which was really as tall as the boy who owned it, didn't look much bigger than his hat but Harry kept on letting out the string, till the hat looked like a bird with a great long tail, let speaker here shade his eyes with his hand and peer and point steadily up towards the sky and occasionally take a peep at the audience and see the boys and girls also looking up through the roof at the kite, the writer has so caught them at it many a time, then John looked down to see how much string he had left, and he let out more and more, and when he looked up at the kite again he didn't look at it at all because he could not see it. It was out of sight. But he knew it was up there all right for he felt it pull. Now, I guess this kite story is a fable. Because in fables kites can talk as well as the boys who fly them. So when the kite got up so high, the story says that it began to want to talk. And as there was nobody up there to talk to, it began to talk to itself. And here is what it said, my. But ain't I high today? Never got so high in all my life before. How beautiful the world looks below me. How beautiful the sky looks above me. Dear me. I can't be so very far from the man in the moon. I have often heard of him. But had never met him. Gee. I wish that boy would let go of that string. If he would. I'd go up and shake hands with the man in the moon and ask him how he is. I just hate to be held down all the time. I heard Harry say. The other day that he didn't want to be tied to his mother's apron string, and that he'd like to be his own man, yes, and I'd like to be my own kite, too, and then I'd show these boys where I'd go, and the more the kite thought of being held down, the matter it got and finally it said, if that boy don't let go of that string, I'll break it that's what I'll do, and I'll go on up to the moon, now see if I don't, and with that, the kite gave a sudden jerk and snap went the string, and what do you think? Children did the kite reach the man in the moon? Not much it didn't. It began to act crazy and silly and drunk all at the same time. And it wobbled, and wobbled and stumbled and tumbled and finally it fell in the dirt. Battered and broken like that. Detach your drawing. Reverse it and reattach it to the drawing board. Add the lines to complete figure 127. Now boys, why did the kite fall? When the string broke. Because the very same string which had held it down was the very same thing which held it up. And now listen don't you boys and girls get as silly as the kite was. Don't you jerk. And pull and tug at your mother's apron string and try to break it. So you can be your own man while you are nothing but a boy or a girl. If you break that string too soon. You are liable to tumble in the dirt as the kite did. And go all to pieces as it did. For don't forget the sea things which hold you down to Sunday school. To church. To a young people's meeting, to school and to a work, are the things which hold you up and lift you up, and keep you up and build you up into strong, hopeful, helpful, full, happy men and women, 
Don't forget what a fool the kite was, and what happened to it. Go as high as you can in the world but don't break the string. A strange old epitaph narrowness broadness a talk to boys concerning the narrow life and the broad life a contrast. The lesson that it is all wrong to be satisfied to be a Mr. Nobody. Do your best and be a Mr. Somebody. The boy whose days in school and whose hours of serious thought in the home have opened his eyes to future years of responsibility. Will drink in the sentiment of this talk and remember the lesson when he reaches the twists and corners of life's pathway which lies before him. The talk. Bitches. D. Migs. I am going to tell you today of a very narrow man. Suppose we call him Mr. Slim Jim. Later on, I will tell you about Mr. Broadman, and ask you which one you would rather be when you grow up. But first, we will turn our minds to a strange old graveyard over in England, a burying ground where there are a good many old tombstones like this. Draw figure 128. Complete. If you were to walk among these old gravestones, you would find one there which would make you laugh even though you were in a cemetery, because the epitaph, on it is the funniest you ever saw or heard of, it says, here lies the body of John Blank, he was born a man but died a grocer, as you speak the words slowly, draw them on the tombstone, completing figure 129, did you ever hear anything to beat that, now, that isn't anything against grocery men, a grocery man may be just as good a man as the preacher himself and just as respectable, We can't get along in this world without groceries, and we just have to have men who will sell them to us. Then what was the matter with John? Well, just this, his business had swallowed him up. He had given it his whole time for years, and he did nothing else. It was groceries, 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 and nothing but groceries. It was groceries on Monday, groceries on Tuesday, groceries on Wednesday, groceries on Thursday. Groceries on Friday and groceries till 11 o'clock Saturday night. And if John went to church Sunday morning, sat on the front seat, and looked straight at the preacher all the time so the preacher would say to himself, John seems to be very much interested in the sermon this morning. Bless the Lord. 10 to 1 John wasn't thinking of the preacher or his sermon at all just only of groceries or some big bill he had to buy or pay on the morrow. Now, if the epitaph had said, here lies the body of John Blank. He was born a man and died a banker, it would have been just as bad, or, if he had died an undertaker, and buried himself, it would not have been any better, now, John, Harry, Willie, if you want to be a grocer when you grow up, be a grocer and a big one a wholesale grocer if you wish, and be a good one the very best in town, if you can, but say don't let your grocery business swallow you up till you are not good for anything else but to buy and sell groceries. Be a good grocer, but be a better, bigger man. Perhaps you would like to be a lawyer, very well. Be a lawyer, but see to it that you don't die a lawyer, and nothing but a lawyer. Don't let your profession swallow you up, and be bigger than you are yourself. Yes, be a lawyer, be a judge, if you will. The world doesn't seem to be able to get along without them some of them to get people into trouble and others to get them out of it. Yes. But no matter how big and how good and just a judge you are, be a bigger, better, juster man. Here is another example. We have had Mr. Slim Jim, now let us have Mr. Broadman broad-shouldered broad-backed broad-minded big heart. Open-pursed man born a man and died a man. Write last seven words on the blackboard. Remember this, it is every man's duty to provide for his family. But it is no man's duty to provide a million for them and provide nothing for those who are aged and sick and lame and blind and poverty-stricken, and helpless. 
That kind of charity which begins at home and stays there is a shame and disgrace to its possessor. It is the kind Mr. Narrow-Minded Slim Jim dispenses. Every man owes some of his time, his talent and his money to the town, the state, the nation to which he belongs. He gets their help and protection when needed, protection and aid perchance in time of fire, flood or cyclone, and police protection as well. And now let me close where I begin with the gravestone and the epitaph. Here draw a picture of grave and gravestone with the epitaph. Here lies John Blank. He was born a man but died a grocer. Let us read together once more this strange and curious epitaph, and make up our minds that no one will ever have a chance to write such a sentiment on our gravestones. Read it in concert.